Hello friends, Michael Greywolf here. I wanted to first say thank you for your patience for the tardiness of this episode. I got a little overwhelmed with my day job and event drop after Pride, so I kind of let things, you know, fall by the wayside. But I wanted to get this episode out because we covered a lot of important topics related to Pride and Stonewall 50. This episode is broken into two parts because we did run a little long in recording, and I just couldn't bring myself to cut out important pieces of the conversation. This first part of the episode, we talk about our experiences with Pride, uh, the corporate takeover of Pride, and those who are fighting against that. I hope you enjoy this part of the show, and we will talk to you again very soon. Blog Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome to Walking the Unnamed Path. I am one of your co-hosts, Michael Greywolf, and joining me tonight are my fabulous co-conspirators, co-hosts, Chris Ripple and Chase Powers. Say hi, guys. Hello. Hi. Walking the Unnamed Path is a podcast dedicated to expanding on the teachings and techniques given to us by the ancestors of men who love men and were laid out by our late brother and founder, Hyperion. We also touch on general topics and ideas that pertain to queer pagan men on a daily basis and kind of recently a good portion of the queer community in general when we had uh, our guest last week, well not last week, you know, a few weeks ago for our Stonewall 50 anniversary. The story that he told us was, you know, for all queer people, not just men who love men. But, you know, let's do a brief catch up because we haven't, like, we took the month of June off. So that everyone can enjoy Pride or, you know, do whatever they wanted to do, have a little break. So how have you two been? You know, it's been a while. <laughs> Chase, you could go first. <laughs> Ooh. Um, you know, I'm in my new place and it's great and I have it set up and like, I have so much space now and it is amazing. I have a temple room now. Like, wow. I, like literally I have a temple room. It's my temple room is probably bigger than my old bedroom was. So, like, I'm ecstatic. I can't wait to, like, actually have some time now that it's all, you know, kind of set up and organized to actually go in there and, you know, do some actual magic. Um, it's, uh, it's, I, I've been, like, deep excitement over this. Like, I have so much time in my bedroom, and I have a temple space, and, like, it's just, it's great. And it's about goddamn um, you know, um, new jobs going great, and it's certainly a big change from where I was before. Um, and I'm getting to do things that I actually like doing and that I'm good at doing, which is so fun. And you know, Pride has been a bit of a whirlwind, and I'm really glad we took the month off because. If we had not taken the month off, I do not think I would have been able to do all of the fun stuff that I got to do for Pride, um, <laughs> which, uh, which you know, we'll talk about more in more detail later. Um, but yeah, you know, it's good. It, things are great. Things are looking up. It's awesome. awesome. Congratulations on your new space. That sounds amazing. <laughs> Thank you. <Yeah. laughs> when is the sling well, going up? <laughs> oh, 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 sling? What? I mean... <laughs> You know, once I get one. <laughs> well, send you some, some links from Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh, yeah, this month, uh, I think whirlwind is definitely the right word. It's It's been crazy. I mean, as you know, like, I live in New York, so our so every weekend in June, uh, there is a pride um, parade or event for each of the five boroughs. And then the last Sunday is always reserved for Manhattan Pride or the Maine Pride or New York City Pride. And of course, we were the hosts for World Pride this year. Uh, so it was like nuts. It was just nuts. <laughs> so I'm still, I'm dealing with the withdrawal of, of, of rainbows right now <laughs> because a lot of the um, the businesses, I think we'll, come, we'll be talking about this later too, but a lot of the businesses that were really decked out in rainbows uh, a lot of them took them down already you know so all, all of a sudden overnight uh we went from like rainbow barf everywhere to the absence is like so like stark you know so it's interesting so i'm still coming down from it thankfully i haven't worked yet so i've been able to just kind of transition away <laughs> you know the joy of nursing hours so um, but i'm really excited to be hearing your voices again you know even though i agree that it was a good idea to take a break during that month it was sad not to hear y'all regularly <laughs> so i'm looking forward to today's topic uh, 
I have I have to agree. It's been a little weird, you know. This yeah, this month was definitely a whirlwind, and I feel like I got to do a lot more gay shit this month than I have. Jeez, I don't know since I moved back to Dallas. Like I've been out each weekend to socialize with friends. I've reconnected with some people. So it's been it's been awesome. It's been weird, and then just you know getting into the whole. I, I feel like I never take a day off from reading articles and whatnot on stuff that's going on in the world, stuff that, you know, we should be aware of. And, you know, just reading so many articles around some of the topics we're going to talk about tonight have been very, not so much eye-opening because I've been aware of it. I would think eye-opening would be if you weren't aware of something. Just more thought-provoking, I guess, thinking about, you know, where we're going as a movement in our community and just our community in general. So, yeah, but let's, let me... So our topic today is revisiting Pride. And we are going to talk on a few different things, uh, like kind of like, you know, the myth of Pride, the myth of Stonewall. You know, what is Pride becoming? And any personal notations that we've noticed throughout the month that we think are stuff that should definitely be talked about. And kind of going along to with what Chris was saying, you know, all the rainbows are already disappearing. But just because... Pride season is over doesn't mean we should stop, you know, pressing the issues and making ourselves heard. So, and you know, I'm very happy to say uh, joining us tonight is a dear friend to the show, uh, Dr. Susan Harper, who is she's a doctor in anthropology. Uh, she is lives here in Dallas with me. Well, she doesn't live with me. Be awesome if she did. Girl, the parties we could have, the conversations, really. Um, <laughs> I do believe Chris wanted to do a little something before we jumped into our conversation. So, Chris? So, I know in, like, in the topic of revisiting Pride, um, I'm not sure if you all know, but um, Michael apparently is very – he mentioned the articles, and he sent us a lot of homework, and I found it very inspiring. Uh, and also, um, like, I want to say conflicting, but there was a lot of dynamic between all the articles, you know? Uh, so, I thought it would be good for us to, uh, including the listeners, to take a breath together. And just invite in all these voices from our community, from our ancestors, uh, our contemporaries, and our future ancestors as well, as we talk about, you know, revisiting pride and what does this mean for us in our past, but also for our future and the future generations as well. So yeah, if we could just take, let's just take three breaths together, like deep breath, inviting in all these voices and wisdom from the ancestors past. And in the second breath, let's dedicate it to our contemporaries, the voices around us, uh, those in our community, the voices that need to be heard. And our last one, let's uh, dedicate this breath to our future generations and the future of the movement. Great. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you, Chris. And let me go ahead and bring on our... Special guest, Dr. Susan Harper. Hello. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> Yay. Welcome, Dr. Susan. <laughs> so, been on the show with us before, uh, Dr. Susan. Could you give us a brief introduction of who you are? I, I did a little bit, oh. but, you know, just, you know, you're, you're so much more than what I just said. So, sure. please uh, grace us I with am... your words. <laughs> <laughs> I am an educator and an advocate and activist. I live here in uh, Dallas, Texas. I have a PhD in cultural anthropology from Southern Methodist University, where I actually studied paganism for my doctoral studies. And I hold a MA in multicultural women's and gender studies from Texas Women's University. Um, I work in multicultural programming and student affairs at the University of North Texas at Dallas, which one of the things I'm in the middle of doing now is planning my uh, pride celebrations, although we will do them in October for LGBT History Month because there weren't really students on campus in June. And, and when I'm not doing all of that, I do some consulting in the area and lead some full moon circles and teach courses on metaphysical and political activism topics in Dallas. So I am a, a priestess of all trades, mistress of none. But Dr. Ooh. Susan, what do you do during your free time? <laughs> I, I, I sleep mostly. Um, <laughs> I hang out with my wife when, you know, we're able to have free time at the same time. Um, it's, I have people ask me all the time when I sleep, and I'm like, well, I, somehow I manage to, and somehow I manage to have enough time to, 
you know, taken a lot of baseball and read a lot of trashy novels. So I don't know if I'm, if I'm occupying multiple time dimensions or what. <laughs> See, I was going to say hearing that question in, in context with you makes me think of the, the gif of uh, Maggie Smith as the Dowager Countess going, what is a week Weekend. end? <laughs> No lies detected. <laughs> I I know what I I know what all of those words mean individually, but when you put them together, I have no idea. What is a weekend? Yes, like what is that? Oh, the days between when I go to my real my regular job when I do my other three jobs. Yes. <laughs> um, so awesome, uh, Doctor Susan. We we all kind of, I mean, we we kind of alluded to you know some of the stuff that we you know experience during Pride. What was your uh, month of Pride like? You know, it was really interesting. I traveled the first weekend. Um, I actually went to Las Vegas for a professional conference. So I missed the first Dallas Pride that was held in down in Fair Park, which made me sad um, because I, I think it's really exciting to move our celebration from our gayborhood, which is steadily more and more gentrified and more white and more cis into the southern sector of the city, um, which is, I, I work in the southern sector. Um, it's a sector which is historically more brown and more working class. Um, of course, there was a fair amount of white cis middle class gay pearl clutching at it being moved down there. Uh, and I really wanted to go. Um, and I also had death in the family over the month. So I lost some of, of uh, the the month was or shouldn't say I lost it. Some of the month was focused on that, um, but I actually like my big pride event that I went to was the Dallas Arts District holds a black party. It's the second year, uh, right down in the middle of the museums. They moved it. They they started it last year so that Dallas would have a June pride event since we have historically celebrated in September. Uh, and I I vended. I had a booth for my business, Dreaming Priestess there and that was really really fun um it's the end itself is free and there were all kinds of um, musicians and storytellers and i think there were some acrobats in the museums are free and that was both last year and this year uh, were the most diverse pride events i have ever been to in dallas Um, lots of diversity in terms of race and ethnicity in terms of body type in terms of age in terms of ability and it was really, really cool to spend what the six hours, seven hours I spent out there, um, just seeing my community in all its beautiful glory, um, was was really, really lovely. So we didn't do a lot of events this year. Um, my wife and I tend not to do Pride in Dallas because it's so corporate and there's usually a large police presence and it's not kind of what we want. Um, so I was able to get a lot of my Pride fix through that event. Well, you know. It's- Interesting. You've mentioned some of our. You've already mentioned some of our topics today. <laughs> the, you know, <laughs> so I did the homework. I ha- yes. <laughs> so, like Chris had mentioned um, right before we got to the topic of the show, I had this idea for today's episode, especially after uh, our last episode with uh, hearing Rich Wandale tell you know, the tell us the history version of pride as you know he had it and then you know of course we we did that interview at in back in may and i edited it and got it ready for to be released you know around you know the actual anniversary of the stonewall stonewall riots or uprising whichever word you prefer um but in between you know the interview and when we released it seeing all these articles about our history and whatnot. One thing that especially caught my mind, caught my eye was a YouTube video that was put out by, I believe it was Time Magazine, right? Yes. And it was basically a mini historical documentary uh, about the Stonewall riot. And it made me think, because a lot of stuff they talked about on there don't really mesh up with the narrative that we share today about the uprising. And yeah, it just, it got me thinking about all these things and then seeing other articles from people, people sharing online and whatnot. And all of these articles that, you know, we read and watched and whatnot, I will, when this episode comes out, I'll have them staged to go out uh, at various times. Uh, people who are wanting to know what we're talking about can read and, you know, maybe we'll get some more discussion going on topics 
that pertain to pride, that pertain to, you know, being queer. So let's see, uh, anyone feeling particularly wanting to, like, jump in on anything? Ooh, 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 ooh. <laughs> <laughs> you can't see it, but I'm doing the, like, I'm doing the Hermione Granger hand wave right now. That's Mysticata, Mysticata. So, uh this year, so you know, for those of you who maybe have never listened to this before, I live in Portland, Oregon, um, which certainly is not without its share of racist assholes, um, but compared to some of the places in Texas that I have lived, it's kind of a liberal mecca. I got to finally attend Pride in Portland this year. I've been here for three years, and this is the first year I've actually been able to. The first year I was here, I had to work. The second year, I had to go to my brother's wedding. <clears throat> and this year, um, I was like, I am going to Pride, God damn it. And I was privileged enough to be able to march in the Pride this year. Um, I have recently be- gotten involved with the uh, PDX Pups and Handlers uh, organization here and um, got to go march in the parade. It was, so it was both my first pride in Portland and also my first time actually marching. Um, and it was super, it was a very different experience, first of all, than the Houston parade, um, which I've attended a few t- fair times. Um, but also it was a very different experience being in it versus watching it because for me, sort of in respects it sort of took the um it refocused the the commercialization of it off because then it was like on interacting with the people instead of like watching the rainbow budweiser float go by (laughs) also portland doesn't really throw things portland doesn't really like chuck beads at people which is kind of as as many times as i've gone home from a houston and, you know, seeing the giant mounds of garbage that gets left behind every year. This was kind of nice to not have, like, huge piles of trash everywhere. I know that one of the one of the issues that has sort of, you know, become more apparent to me this pride, uh, partly based on just differing life circumstances, is that um, I was I, I got peripherally involved in some of the discussions like the participation of certain groups in Pride, um, most notably like do kinksters belong at Pride, um, which fuck yes they do, <laughs> just like sex workers and you know trans people and everybody else in the goddamn world is to be there who's part of the LGBT community, um, all belong in Pride. So yeah, that was really that was kind of an interesting um, paradigm shift for me a little bit was sort of seeing that like why it's sort of why I think pride is still super important. Yeah, I can resonate with that. You know, I, I march in pride every year here in New York with my group called Pumwa Movement Builders. Shout out, hashtag PMB Pride. So Pumwa is actually a Korean percussion system, our culture. And it's the, the group kind of started with my coming out process. And every year, more and more queer folk were like, hey, I want to do it too. I want to do it too. And it just grown into a separate network of drummers, which is amazing. But yeah, I I think it's been a while since I've actually watched the march. But being in it, uh, I, I resonate with what you're saying, Chase. It's like uh, it kind of focuses you on the interactions with the people, right? You notice the faces, you notice the people, you notice the the tears sometimes. And yeah, I, I think it, like, marching is always an amazing experience because I think it makes it, it kind of forces you to focus in on the what's important about the march, you know, and the power of it. Yeah. And I'm I'm really resonating with uh, what you're both saying about the interacting with the people because I think that was what was so powerful about the event that I chose to kind of build my pride uh, experience around this year because I was you know, in my boots right watching these thousands of people come by and having you know lots of people stop by to talk uh, and tell me that this was their first pride event that they had ever been at um, and seeing parents with their kids um, especially. Um, parents that either revealed that they were or that I would have read as like straight cis parents um, with their queer and trans kids um, and just watching people um, being just their authentic selves. Like we were, we were both, we were commenting the friend of mine that works my booth um, on the number of, of young people, like under 18 young people. And also um, the, the diversity and the amount of just, I mean, things like natural hair and 
curvy, kind of thick women in crop tops and, you know, the, all these things that out in the out in the culture, people are sometimes afraid to be and do and present themselves. And it was all happening. And I was able to have these really intimate interactions with people and just kind of watch them go by and really focus on that and have sort of some deep connections with people um, mm-hmm. in a way that I don't think I've ever had standing in the crowd at a parade. That's incredible. It was it, it was pretty cool. Like I, I have to say, um, it was it, like so it was the second year they've done that event. I can't wait to go back next year as it's I was it's it was what I had wanted uh, our pride in Dallas to include was something like this where they really tried to focus. I was on the artisans row and they only choose 15 artisans you have to apply, and so they try to keep resellers and big corporations out of it. It tries to keep it very handmade. They, they try and keep it all really local. Um, and that was just super, super neat um, to see who came out for that and um, kind of let people see community in a different way right in the middle of our beautiful and thriving arts district. I would say something I definitely noticed at Pride, and I guess it kind of would include the event that you were at, uh, Dr. Susan. You know, it wasn't a, the event you were at wasn't a traditional pride event that has been here. Does it? You know, it's fairly new, only two years old. Um, and also going along with, you know, what Chase was saying. You know, I love, I love it going along with what Chase was saying about, you know, being in the parade uh, takes your focus off of the the big corporations and whatnot that you see when you're actually watching the parade. And something I noticed this year, it seemed like I know that I know this these groups have existed in the past, but it seems like there have been more, uh, well, I guess it, since it was the 50th anniversary of the Stonewall Uprising, there's so many more groups that are wanting to do counter, not, I don't think that's the right word, uh, not counter prides, but because it's a pride, uh, so pride march or pride celebration, but they do what they can to keep the big corporations out, like uh, the event you were at, Dr. Susan. The main group here in Dallas is called Queer Bomb Dallas. And okay. I think Rich had mentioned a uh, organization in New York uh, that they were bo- they both were doing uh, alternative marches or alternative right. protests from you know what was the main or uh, mainstream pride, uh, calling pride mainstream. Uh. Anyway. <laughs> It's not inaccurate. You know, most people, or at least definitely most white folks here in Dallas, don't know that there's an entire separate pride for predominantly mm-hmm. black and brown folks in South Texas, in, in South Dallas. It happened last weekend. Um, mm. It's their own celebration. It's called Texas Southern Pride because there's definitely a feeling, and I, I see it, I'm like right in the middle of the neighborhood, um, that what happens, in, what happens in the neighborhood really doesn't have anything to do with what folks in South Dallas need, and it, it's always been in June when um, sort of Dallas Pride has, has been in September, um, and especially this year with what was happening in Dallas where we ha- we've had three um, black trans women killed in the last four months, one of them on the second day of Pride. Um, yes, yes. There was a lot of focus with that event uh, and, with, with, and with the organizers and with um, Abounding Prosperity, which is an organization here in Dallas that serves predominantly um, black and Latina, Latinx, um, queer folks, you know, they did a lot of work around that issue. Um, but that, that event is almost invisible to a lot of people in Dallas. Mm-hmm. You kind of have to be a part of the community to know about it. Yes. You, know, yes. you, you, have, yeah. you have to be black or you have to be brown to know that these events exist. They are mm-hmm. not widely known to the greater queer community. And I mean, I've been in Dallas 25 years and was vaguely aware that this event existed, but really didn't know much about it until I started working in Oak Cliff and starting to find out more about the community and what's there for my students um, in, you know, in their part of town um, and started sort of digging to find out what kind of resources I could give them. And I was like, oh my goodness, like that's not my space to go to, but mm-hmm. I'm sure glad that it exists and I, I wish more people knew. It's interesting, I, you know. For a, when hearing about that, Dr. Susan, I'm wondering, I'm wondering how much of that was by design. You know what I mean? That it's not mm-hmm. a mainstreamly known uh, event. I, I mean, could it be because you know the folks that organize it, you know, could do better PR? Maybe, right? Uh, but yeah. it might also, it could also be by design for um, 
you know, I mean, I'm I'm not from Dallas. I don't know the community. I'm not from the community, but I wonder if that's that was part of it. You know, I I think that there is some of that. I I I agree, mm-hmm. and definitely, you know, I'm not part of the community, so. I can't give a sort of good sense of how well known it is within the black and brown community, especially in South Dallas. It always, right. always looks like from what, I, what I've seen from like pictures of the past events and stuff, it's well attended. And so I think some of it is by design because it is meant to serve a specific community. Um, right. And, and, you know, then it's always a question of like, how do you maintain that, that spirit, but also get the people who need to be there, there, right. and, you know, I I just I boosted it to uh, sort of my students on campus and um, that's kind of yeah that's my lane Um, so I'm I'm Mm. curious to see um, as we're having more and more discussion in Dallas about the intersection of uh, race and and sexuality and and race and uh, gender identity and particularly how those intersections expose people to violence in our city what mm. what that ends up looking like for the, organi- for the organizers of that event. Right. Well, I feel like it alludes to some previous episodes where we spoke extensively about allyship. And this is one of the reasons I heart you so hard because, you know, just from what you just spoke about, about um, you boosting it, right. Getting the word out uh, to folks that it's uh, the target audience. Right. But then also mm-hmm. acknowledging the possibility, maybe, maybe this isn't your space, right? Maybe this isn't a place, maybe allyship doesn't look, look like showing up. Maybe allyship looks like staying away or holding space, right. you know? Uh, so I think that's amazing, you know? Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's definitely, um, the campus I'm on is, uh, my students are 85% people of color. Mm-hmm. And learning uh, how to show up and do the work I need to do and not make it about me is a, uh, it is an, a daily, daily lesson. It's um, hard. Yeah, it's so hard. It's hard. <laughs> yeah. But kudos to you. <laughs> so, you know, we, we've already talked about this one thing, the presumed corporatization of pride. What And, you know, a few of the articles that I shared with you were from interviewed people who were from, you know, the first, you know, protests at Stonewall. Uh, well, hold on. Let me let me backtrack and say, uh, you know, as we stated in our previous episode, Stonewall was not the beginning of the gay rights movement, but it was a pivotal moment, pivotal stepping point for our movement. It's often credited as the birth of it, but before that, there were uh, important uh, milestones in our community that led up to Stonewall, and Stonewall was just like the jumping off point. Um, yeah, and I think that's important, because if you even look at like Compton's Cafeteria Riot, and I'm going to mess up the name, but the event at, um, is a, a donut shop in Los Angeles, I can't, yes. can't remember it. There and they were events that were provoked by similar police brutality and led by trans women of color. Like there's a a pattern in these events, and then of course there's everything that's happening with you know groups like the Mattachines and all all of that work too that we have. And then we have these flashpoints, and it's really I think it's really important to people for people to have that wider history. And that's one thing I have appreciated this year around Stonewall 50 is that more and more people are talking about that, uh, and we're starting mm-hmm. to. You know, we have we have sort of the, the the myth of Stonewall and sacred histories are important. Like pagans know that, but also to have wider historical context is really really key. And we we're gonna talk on that in a little bit too. Uh, <laughs> but some of the articles that you know I shared with y'all were interviewed people who you know, like I said, were at Stonewall, who were there the first uh, those three days of rioting, and they don't have like a really good opinion of you know where pride is now where our movement is now what what are your thoughts on that well capitalism is going to capitalism you know um i think it's it is not inevitable but unsurprising that um the movements get co-opted for profit um and that it tends to defang them a bit and i think that our segments of our community have definitely been complicit in Right, where we play the like a lot of the stuff you saw around marriage equality and that movement was you know respectable, nice cis white queer folks with our families that look like nice heteronormative middle class families, um, and 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 we're a market, right? So on, on some level, it leaves a really bad taste in my mouth, uh, especially corporations that go all rainbow for June, but they don't actually have good policies for uh, their employees or they. They donate to uh, really anti-gay and anti-trans uh, politicians and legislation. So there's there's definitely that part of it you can critique. And then there's also the part of me that 
thinks about what does it mean to a 15-year-old queer kid in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, who just had their first Pride March this year. It was adorable. Um, what does it mean to, you know, my, my friend's 15-year-old kid in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, to walk into Target and see a Pride display? And what, what would it have been like for, you know, 16 or 17-year-old me to have seen myself being uh, affirmed and visible in this, in this national way? Like, I think it's, I have to, I have to hold intention really complicated feelings about it. And I have less complicated feelings when it is a company like Target that puts their money where their mouth is for the queer community, um, as opposed to, I don't know, like freaking Halliburton and their bombs. But it, it is <laughs> complex and hard. And I understand why, especially for people that were there, and especially for you know the trans women of color that are still there, that were, they were at Stonewall and at Compton, that you know, their position in society has not improved. Like they're still probably the most discriminated against demographic in the country, even though they led this movement. And But it's the, the happy cis middle class gays that are the market. And so they just kind of get forgotten and everybody gets their rainbow Listerine and, and we don't talk about it the rest of time. And so I definitely see where people that are pioneers of the movement are like, what are you guys doing? Right. Yeah. I, I, I agree with you 100%. I think that there's a lot of power, right, in uh, the, the, the corporatization of the pride, the pride marches and uh, pride events. And I, I do, you know, I was in Target, right? I was in Target in the rainbow display. And, you know, I, I just remember thinking, like, in the past, I had to, like, order this shit online, like, months ahead, you know, but now it's, like, there's actually, like, options in stores. I could think of my outfit last minute. But also, yeah, for the young person, right, the person that might not be out yet and how just having that prevalence of rainbows makes it a little more normal, right, for, for them, makes them maybe a little safer for them and also, like, puts that seed in their in their parents or their support network minds that, hey, this is not as, as a, well, I mean, I, I guess it takes the teeth out of demonizing a little bit, you know? Um, mm-hmm. no, absolutely. I, I think also part of the part of the risk too is that it's kind of like this idea of like oh okay now that like all these corporations are uh, are supporting us putting the money where their mouth is it's like oh we're done you know and then I feel yeah. that's that's the risk you know uh, and then the, that it's something that happens I I, I know that the, especially within the POC community that that's something that a lot of folks shared sentiments about with the passing of gay marriage you know i remember like i was part of this i believe it was the stonewall oh shoot i forget the name i think it's the stonewall foundation and you know they have like monies that they put towards nonprofits and their work towards our, our movement and i think they got a lot of feedback from the poc community that, that there wasn't a lot of focus happening for our needs so i was actually part of i guess a think group and a gathering of folks and a lot of a lot of the POC folks uh, that were there, uh, they saw the, the passing of gay marriage as um, a slap in the face even, you know? I mean, they were happy about it, and they were happy about any sort of uh, the gaining of equality for our community. But uh, I remember, like, a lot, a lot of the sentiment was this idea of, like, this is the most important thing for our community right now. But meanwhile, the spread of HIV and POC communities is, was still on the rise and still is today. You know, um, health issues, our trans communities, you know, there there was a lot of money and action being put towards gay marriage passing. And it was kind of seen as the most important thing for a lot of people in their everyday day-to-day lives. It just wasn't even, like, important. Or it, it, was, it didn't even, like, rank at all, you know? Like, survival mm-hmm. was still part of their day-to-day concerns. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so I, I think... I think we should celebrate it. We should celebrate it. But I do agree that, you know, there's risk. There's risk, risk with this advancement, you know? So we have to be vigilant, sure. too. <laughs> well, and there's, there's a statistic, um, and of course, all, like, you know, 57% of all statistics are made up on the spot. But um, <laughs> there was a, a – I'm trying to remember who did it. It might, it might have been Pew um, – did a survey that almost half of the country assumes that because marriage equality is now the law of the land that all discrimination against queer folks is illegal. <laughs> and that, I mean, when I tell people, when I, I do some consulting here and I went in and talked to a room of, of human resources managers, people who it is their job to know this stuff. And when they realize that unless a specific city or specific country, uh, specific company has a non-discrimination policy, that Texas is one of 27 states where you can still be not hired or fired for being queer, they were shocked to find this information out. I wish I had that infographic to hand that was talking about, you know, yeah, it's great that you can be married, but like in certain percentage of states, 
and and uh, uh, principalities that um, you can get married on Saturday and come to work on Monday and find that you've been fired. Um, right. You, know, you can come. You can go to the church and get married and come home and find out that your landlord has evicted you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and there is absolutely not a damn thing you can do about it. And, you know, that shit's super scary. I know when, um, I was living in Austin and going to college at the time when, uh, was it Lawrence, Lawrence v. Texas? Lawrence v. Texas, yep. Got, got uh, run through. Um, and I remember that a huge topic of conversation in, our, in the government class that I was in. And, you know, ta- me writing a paper, a current events paper on, like, why this I think this is super important and why, you know, this is really important for me because, you know, I up until recently like I could literally go to jail for having a boyfriend, you know. Mm-hmm. And it, uh, the attitudes of, of of shock and horror on, you know, Austin, you know, the keep Austin weird place uh, of like, oh my god, you're gay, you know, that kind of shit. And, you know, that was 10, 15 years ago, but right. still to see how quickly those attitudes have changed, you know, talking about the the quarterization of of the of of pride and the culture, you know, I think there is to me, I'm kind of with you on the like there's some complicated feelings around that because, you know, I much like a lot of the older crowd remember when shit was not that way at all for anybody, you know, where it was, you know, deeply shameful to have anyone in your family come out as gay. You know, especially in, you know, Texas, um, mm-hmm. of all places. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I I think that it is that double-edged sword where, the, to a certain extent, the corporatization has helped normalize being, you know, being LGBT. And having that, you know, be that, like, you're constantly exposed to it because somebody's trying to make money off of it. So, you know, this is a thing. You know, it's not, you know, Uncle, Uncle Bob is a confirmed bachelor that nobody ever talks about. It's like, mm, no, he's gay, you know, or whatever. But on the other hand, you know, I've also looked at things like what happened with the Houston Pride Parade and moving it into downtown out of the neighborhood because it was easier for corporations to have floats there and also presented a better image that was more about, you know, in keeping with, you know, the, the family values as opposed to, I guess the radical queerness of it. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, how gross that felt like, yeah, but like, why are you, why are we worried about this, you know, heterocentric kind of, you know, we're not, not all of us are looking to be the gay cleaver family, you know, like not all of us want, you know, 2.5 children, a white picket fence and, you know, a dog. (laughs) That's not, that's not the dream for everybody. So I think, you know, of the ways that the I tend to look at the like the corporatization in Pride is like okay what is this company doing the rest of the year you know, do they put their do they put their rainbow flag up on June first and take it down on July first and that's the only time they mention anything having to do with LGBT issues in a positive light you know what are their what are their corporate policies like how do they treat their LGBT employees you know how do they treat their trans employees not just the like white gay men like you know how what what kind of policies do their you know do the the health insurance cover hormone therapies and transition surgeries you know do they have do they have anti discrimination policies in place those things are super important questions to ask At, even for companies that seem to have a good record you know there was an article that came out not really recently uh, or not too terribly long ago rather that was talking about you know these these companies actually have a really shitty pol- have really shitty LGBT policies and everybody thought they were great for a long time because mm-hmm. basically people stopped paying attention to them and they went back to you know doing whatever made them the, most, the most money right you know it's it's a case for me it's a very much a case of like you know it's great that Target so good for their LGBT employees. And you have to continue holding their feet to the fire because as soon as you stop, they'll stop. Yeah, I, I, I think, and a lot of I, I'm also thinking like what you had to say about the way in which corporatization often also goes along with sort of making pride you know, quote respectable. Thinking about what you said too is about you know people arguing like do kinksters belong at pride? Do um, what kind of uh, like displays of uh, sexuality are appropriate at pride and 
I, I mean, that that conversation keeps happening, right? And um, the the way in which even people in our own community are willing to sanitize those sort of like radical roots and, and, and the fact that, you know, the movement for GLBT rights is absolutely wrapped up with the movement for sexual freedom and, and freedom and gender expression. Um, but the people in our community that, that do respectability politics and like, you know, the, um, you know, but, the, the straights will like us as long as we act like them, um, but, they're willing to kind of take those communities and say, you don't belong in this space, even though you helped to create it because it's going to make Colgate upset. And that's, that's where I really get stuck. That. Very much that. Yes, yes, yes. Oh yes, my yes. God, so much uh, that. Uh, yeah, agree. <laughs> I'm also reminded that I'm, I'm thinking about other movements like the civil rights movement, and mm-hmm. I know uh, there there've been many. I just remember like watching so many like documentaries about it, and then uh, in a very surface view, right? It looks I don't say pure, but it looks very like like simple, right? A very simple message, and then uh, and a simple obvious message, and I, I, I'm I guess like. As I get older too, and I wonder if this is just me becoming a bit of a curmudgeon, but I, I also like realize that that's also by design, you know. And I, I'm reminded that there were women in that movement that were still fighting for their rights. That there were queer people in that movement that were uh, not given a mic, right? Uh, so it's I, I, I'm not necessarily like saying I, I'm just kind of wondering maybe out loud if this is how change happens in our human experience a little bit, and maybe that's unacceptable. I don't know, like, you know, in those episodes, right, in those moments where people are trying to, like, sanitize or quiet a community, obviously, you know, they're in the wrong, right? But then I I also, I guess I'm reminded that that's how it's been done, right? So I wonder, Mm -hmm. like, what we can do to change that, or is it... Is it just that we have to keep reminding ourselves to keep bringing the people from the fringe to the center of the conversation as we advance? I don't know. Yeah. I, just... it's, a, it's a good question because it's a question of, like, who owns history? Yes, yeah. And, and of public history. And um, I, I think that we have more of a chance to keep sort of radical histories present now because we're in the age of social media, because we're in the age of the Internet, because I can go online and – say, oh, you know, here's this podcast on Compton's Cafeteria, right? You should really listen to it. Here's this podcast on Bayard Rustin. Um, I think that it's, we have a, a chance to, to help keep control of the narrative because definitely, you know, something that, uh, one of the things I did in my job was um, help put on Black History Month, um, which is a big deal on my campus. And we spent a lot of time talking about the way in which white liberals actually kind of wrested the narrative of the civil rights movement from people on the street. And of course, when you have two, of, you know, at least two of your major leaders get get martyred that's a that's a thing and that narrative got kind of taken over and you know there's still people today that will tell you that you know we'll talk about uh here in the south it'll talk about you know the civil rights movement and and, and talk about it as this like you know nonviolent and and, and peaceful movement and it's like yeah but like when you were a little kid you're out there with your dad like screaming at people that were just trying to integrate a school like that stuff gets all sanitized out because it's the, the narrative gets sort of co-opted, and if you don't have documentation in real time that's accessible to people, people will just – I mean, they'll buy that myth. They'll buy that sacred history because that's easier to grapple with than that it's it's complicated and that there are multi, you know multiple voices and who gets the mic and who doesn't. It's much easier to think of things linear and think of things clean and to think of things as like morally pure because they're their end was good and to like take the messiness out of it because that gives us complicated feelings. Yeah. I want to backtrack a little bit to something uh, Chase was saying about keeping the corporations who are supporting us, you know, during the month of pride, keeping their feet to the fire. Mm -hmm. Uh, All of y'all have mentioned target and I'm like, Oh my God, I can never escape target (laughs) because I worked (laughs) for them. But you know, there was, I do remember, you know, there was a time when, Target donated money to organizations that were not gay-friendly, that were not queer-friendly, and they got called out on it, and only because they got called out on it did they start putting an effort towards being seen as more inclusive, being seen as more welcoming to the queer community, and, you know, know, words are not coming. Uh, I don't think I added this article to... The documents that I shared with uh, all of y'all, uh, but you know, you should. I mean, if you haven't heard about it, but there's SESTA Foster in uh, California, uh, and it has been impacting, uh, you know, queer 
and queer kink, uh, sex workers, all these individuals who are you know trying to make a living as the people they are, been impacting them. And one of the main one one not main one of the big ones that is uh, negatively impacting people who are like producing content, producing stuff out there to educate people is YouTube, Google, mm-hmm. and Google. There was you know people were calling for Google to be taken out of the San Francisco Pride Parade because of their discrimination towards you know queer content creators on YouTube because you know they they say you know they say our algorithms are you know they're we are you know treating everyone evenly and they're really not they are overwhelmingly you know queer trans uh sex educators are targeted and their videos are demonetized or censored completely mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and the people who were throwing the parade basically said no we have to keep them in i guess because they were one of the biggest contributors to the parade i probably don't yeah. know that's true. I, I didn't i didn't know about that i I feel like even though Google is just one company, when, when there's a company so big, right, it's interesting that their their issues are almost systemic in nature, you know, because it has such an impact on, on what we do. And it's interesting what you say, Michael, about, like, their claim that they were uh, being equal, but I, I'm always just reminded that, like, equal treatment is not equality. It does not equal, equal equality, you know? And then if your equal treatment is, is um, manifesting in inequality, then you need to revisit that equal treatment, right? Yeah. It's like systemic problems require systemic change, you know? So I feel like with a large organization like that, I don't know. I, I definitely agree with this idea of, like, keeping their feet to the fire. And I, I wonder, I wonder how much of, a, I guess, a prerequisite or even, like, a conditional entry into uh, the festivals or, or, or parades there are for different organizations, you know? I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't even know who was participating in the um, World Pride here in New York because, like I said, I was marching, so I didn't see any of them. Yeah, it would be interesting to know how many of those organizations are actually, you know, putting their money where their mouth is and actually serving as allies and protectorates for our community members. How many are just t- cashing in on the opportunity, you know? Well, and it's... And- it's- Oh, go ahead, Susan. Okay, so it's, it's interesting, too, that I know I because of sort of what has happened with FOSTA and SESTA, um, which happened on YouTube, you know, it's interesting to wa- to figure out sort of where the line is for, like, you know, you can have an organization um, that has, say, good corporate policies towards queer folks in their workplace, and they don't see that as conflicting with, say, for, for, for FOSTA and SESTA because of the anti-sex work ethic mm-hmm. in this culture. And even and again, there are definitely gay folks, queer folks that don't want to acknowledge that sex workers are a huge part of our community and are a huge part of our history. Um, right. I know here in Dallas, um, you know, the uh, police held a town hall meeting with the LGBT community, which I mean, I, I rolled my eyes so hard they went across the room. But <laughs> is that where those came from? I thought yes. I saw here. I was <laughs> yeah. through Portland. <laughs> Um, yeah, don't wonder they're in the martini. They're not all in. Um, and in the, in the middle of this meeting, in you know, in this time of like crisis in our city, where we have you know violence against particularly black and brown trans women on the rise, the chief of police, who it's worth noting is a black woman herself, said in this community meeting, "Well, we basically like just want to get all the hookers off the street." Ugh. And it's like, okay, okay, like, mm. so basically if it, what you're saying is that you're going to go through, you know, the neighborhood and, you know, round up all the sex workers who are predominantly um, black and brown folks and, you know, trans people generally and, and trans women of color often end up in survival sex work. And you say you want to protect this community from violence, but you're going to instead target the group, which is at most risk of violence, um, all the, the the trans women in this last spate here in Dallas who were murdered had ties to survival sex work. And what you're going to do is just drive them into more and more and more dangerous neighborhoods. And, and well, there were, there were white cis, cis gays and lesbians that were into that. They're like, Oh my God, get that out of our neighborhood. And there's no discussion about their criminalization or about services for sex workers and how that is, that is part of our community, both from that we provide sex work and there are people in our community that pay for it. And, that we we miss this huge piece of equality and justice for our community when we exclude sex work in that way. 
Well, mm-hmm. I mean, and, and let's be like super, super honest here. Like, Sesta Fosta is not doing anything to get hookers off the street. Oh no! If anything, anything, it is. If anything, it is literally doing exactly the opposite. Because where you know you had sex workers who are using the internet as a place to like be their own boss. You know, now they are being driven offline where they cannot be, you know, where sex trafficking cannot be easily tracked because it's a lot harder to track sex traffickers when, you know, they're in the real world and don't leave trails. Because, you know, once it's on the Internet, it's on the Internet forever applies to criminal activity too, folks. And instead they're driving them back to pimps, which means they're driving them back onto the streets or back into illegal unmonitored brothels and they're taking that out of the hands of the people whose fucking bodies they are. Uh-huh. So, you know, like, it's bad. It's a bad plan. It's dumb. And, like, fucking white cis gays, guys and girls, come <laughs> the fun. Like, can we not? As the white cis gay guy, can we fucking not? <laughs> could you just, could you all just fucking not? Like, we've got to stop pulling up the ladder behind us. You know, a lot of the conversations that you, you know we that you guys were having earlier about things I was reminded of the I don't remember if it was an actual quote or if it was just sort of the paraphrased stance that the HRC took during the fight for marriage equality which was basically like yeah we're going to need all the trans people to sit down and shut up because like this is important to us and then once we get this we'll come for you guys except they didn't fucking do that right um and you know we gotta stop this guys we gotta stop like either we all get it or none of us fucking gets it you know we 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 can't just be like oh great now okay that's great but like my black trans neighbor got the shit beat out of her by her pimp like that's can you know the, the solution is not to, well, let's get her out of this neighborhood. It's let's make it so that doesn't happen to her. Right. Like, and, and right. why this seems to be such a big jump for people. I mean, honestly, I'm just going to lay it most at the feet of Christianity and the Puritan ideals like sex work is dirty and evil. Because how did that, God, how does, there's a Twitter post that goes around every now and then that says, if you think, if you think that sex workers sell their bodies but coal miners don't, your view of work is fundamentally flawed. Yes. Mm. Well, and in the lesbian community, as, as, as the, the white cis bi chick on the panel, um, <laughs> in, in the lesbian community, um, especially uh, in the segment of our community that are uh, radical feminists who also tend to be trans-exclusionary, um, there's a lot of second wave feminist politics that you know all sex work is demeaning and exploitative of women. Pornography is the same, and so those folks definitely not only will they not stand up for sex workers, they actively campaign against uh, rights for sex workers. And the fact that that dovetails very nicely with their trans exclusionary bullshit, you know, it's just kind of a bonus. But that's that's definitely something I run into. Cough, cough, fuck a bunch of turfs, cough, cough. Right, right. <laughs> Turf whack-a-mole is my favorite game. <laughs> <laughs> can we just put them down, can we push them down the same the same well, actually, as the mansplainers? Oh, man, that'd be great. <laughs> like, you know, just... Pff. Y'all just fight like... it out, down. <laughs> and that's the end of part one of two. Part two will be available shortly, and we will be continuing our conversation. If you haven't yet, please hit subscribe on your preferred media outlet so you can stay up to date on whenever we release new content. And if you would, please take a moment and give us a rating and leave us a comment. We would greatly appreciate it. We hope you have a blessed day, and we hope you will continue to walk this path with us. Bye.